0: Morning everyone, my name's Sai. it's great to speak to you, I'm one of the leaders here at the church. Well what a week it's been politically, hey, for, for our nation, God, I don't think there's been a week like it, whether you're pro-Brexit or against Brexit, whether whatever political persuasion you're backing at the moment, you're all welcome Here, just to to make that very clear, and there'll be no infighting uh, amongst that. But our nation and our leaders need our prayers at the moment, don't they? They really, really do. God says in His Word, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins. And I'll heal their lands. The prayers of the saints unlock divine power to bless this nation. And my friends, we need to be praying. So let's, as Steve encouraged us last week, make the most of every opportunity. And we've got several opportunities coming up this week. You know, your presence and your prayers at those meetings add weight to release divine blessing on this church and on this nation. So please, can I encourage you to prioritise those prayer meetings? Anyway, hands up for the answers uh, uh, for this one, okay? So, we've just finished a series on what book? And yes, there are prizes. Don't... Oh, Chris was the first up, yep. Esther. Oh, Sophie got that, Okay. Apart from Esther, who was another hero in the book? Hands up! I said Mordecai. vow was first there. Sorry if I nearly hit you, Mary. Uh, okay. Who was one of the baddies? Yeah, yeah. There you go, Paul. And you get five sweets in there. There you go. Okay. Who was Queen Esther married to? Sam was the first. King Xerxes. Oh, you know that because you played it in, in it as well. Here you go, Sam. I can't quite throw it. Well, maybe I can. Oh, nearly hit somebody. Anyway, and because I'm kind, you guys can have some over there. You can have some more over there. Sorry, I can't get it right at the back there. You can have it over there. Any more left there? Over there. There you go. There you go. Anyway... Today, we begin a, a trilogy of three mini-series on the key biblical themes of grace, of peace, and of hope. And this will lead us right the way up into the new year, until just after, after Christmas. And I'm starting today on the series of grace and God's gift of, of grace I'll be looking at today. You know, that famous hymn, the, the, probably the most famous Christian hymn amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see what amazing truth is in those words there but for some of you you'll be there thinking to yourself grace what's what's grace if we could go on to the the next slide and the next one there we go. What's, what's grace? What does, what's that? That all about? It's not something that's in "We use so much in normal language, is it? You might say "Your Grace if you meet a duke, or if you meet the archbishop, but you don't tend to meet <laughs> They didn't do anything. <laughs> you don't tend to meet them too often, do you? Uh, or you might uh, hear a commentator talking about oh, how how graceful, that ballet dance or that gymnast or that you know uh, ice skater or whatever uh, moved. If you look in a dictionary most dictionaries talk about those two things. They talk about thanks for that Pete that's, uh, that's great they, they <laughs> shall I knock it down again in a minute yeah, you have to show me grace then well, anyway, anyway um, <laughs> most dictionaries talk about elegance and smoothness of movement, or courteous goodwill. Well, is that what we're talking about when it comes to God? Is it the way he, he's a smooth mover, and he, he's so courteous? My good man, would you consider thinking about Jesus? Is, he, is, he, is, he, is that what we're talking about? Well, actually, although it's sort of true that actually God, those things are true about God, that's not what the Bible is talking about when... It talks about grace. Clever people have come up with the acrostic of God's riches at Christ's expense, grace down there. And you, uh, you just see um, how we receive freely from God his goodness, his riches at the cost of Christ giving his life for us on the cross so that's a that's a good way of thinking about grace but because I'm simple and I like things to be simple my name is Simon after all so uh, I, I th- find this very helpful to think of grace grace is simply God giving us what we don't deserve mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve grace is him giving us what we don't deserve have you got it so, even that pathetic little example at the end, those of you who didn't answer a question and you still got a sweet, that is an example of, of grace. You see, through Christ, we get adopted into God's family. We get given eternal life. We get the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We get His blessing upon our life for all. All that we receive by his grace. His mercy is him not giving us what we do deserve. You see, we're all born into that place of being rebellious against God. And we only add sin upon sin by the things that we do, the things that we say, and the things that we think as we go through life. We deserve to be put out of a holy God's presence. We deserve his judgment upon Our life, but as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive His mercy, we receive forgiveness, and we're accepted. He doesn't give us what we deserve, no, but through His grace, we then experience His blessing and His favor upon our life. He gives us His spirit, He puts His spirit inside of us to help us to live for God and give us the desire. To try and please God with our lives. He adopts us into his family. We become children of the living God. And we receive eternal life. The Bible says God is going to spend eternity. It says this in Ephesians 2. He's going to spend eternity showing the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The living God. He's going to spend eternity showing you the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for grace is, is charis. And what it means is loving kindness, goodwill and favor. That's what grace means in the, in the Greek word that used in the Bible. It actually comes from a, a, a root word which means to rejoice or to be glad. Because that is the effect of grace on your life. It causes you to rejoice and to be glad in all of God's goodness towards you. There's a sense in which the whole world experiences something of God's grace. It's what the theologians call common grace. The whole world experiences God's common grace. It's things like the fact that we experience Good things like love and joy and kindness. These are gifts from our Father in heaven. And not only, it's not just Christians that experience them. All people can experience them. Jesus says he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. His heavenly Father sends a rain on the just and the unjust as well. So all people experience something of God's grace, his common grace towards this world. But what we're looking at during this series is what would be called God's saving grace or his special grace towards those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. So when we talk about grace, that's really what we are focusing on today. And I just have two very simple points. Now I've outlined what grace is to you that I want to, to bring to you. The first one is that grace flows out of who. God is, and then the second one is grace defines who we are. So let's look at this first one: how grace flows out of who God is. You know, the Apostle John, summing up his—sorry, at the beginning of his gospel, sums up what he's about to say like this: that for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John sums up the old covenant in the giving of the law through Moses. God's righteous standards that Israel and through Israel, the whole world, were supposed to live up to. Yet with the coming of Jesus and the introduction of the new covenant, yes, the truth is still proclaimed, but it's grace and truth. Has God just mellowed over time? Is that why grace has been introduced there? You know, uh, young people can be characterized by being uh, you know, passionate and intense and rigid on things that life has a way of beating out of you as you get older and you just sort of mellow over, over time. I used to help in a soup kitchen when I lived in Bournemouth and um, I helped there for a number of years. And there was this young lady that also helped at the soup kitchen for, for a little while, and there's also an older lady. One evening when we were uh, driving back in, in the van, this young lady who was a passionate young lady for Jesus and passionate about absolutely everything was there telling this older lady, because I was a man, so she, you know there's no point telling me this sort of thing, but she was so passionate and irritated that people could get the toothpaste and squeeze it in the middle so some of the toothpaste went to the bottom. And then they would just leave it for someone else to have to push that toothpaste up. And she was so cross and animated uh, about this. And uh, she she was looking for the older lady for approval. And the older lady just said, lovely lady called Jan, she just said, my dear, I think you just mellow as you get older. In my house, I'm just happy if people brush their teeth. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Is that what's happened to God? He's, he's mellowed over time. He's got these high standards. But it's like, oh, oh well, I suppose if they like me, that, that would do. That would do. Oh, I'm happy with that. Not at all, my friends. That's not what the Bible teaches us or what Jesus is about. Or is it about um, the fact that God thinks, well, more people may like him if he tries grace, if he experiments with grace and and being kind. So he's trying hard to be kind towards you and me in Jesus. A bit like, and we all know people uh, like this, uh, like a grumpy old man or or lady. Let's stick with man, though. It's safer territory as a man to stay with grumpy old man. And, uh, you know, it is said... That I think it's pretty true. I think you'll you'll agree with me with this. I haven't looked into it in in, in detail, but um, that the emotions that characterise your life express themselves on your face as you get older. So if you've lived a life of you know seeing the positive and seeing what God's doing and a sort of happy and a joy-filled life, you'll get smile lines on your face. Whereas if you've bro- lived a life being grumpy and miserable and seeing all the negative things, which there are lots of negative things but focusing on them in life a grumpy sort of face. And it's interesting isn't it? With people that have that sort of grumpy face you try getting them to smile. It's such an effort isn't it? Is that what God is like? Is he trying to be kind to us? Is he trying through Jesus to be nice to you but really wants to punish all of you? Is that what the Bible says? My friends, nothing could be further from the truth. God hasn't just decided to experiment with grace towards you and towards me. Grace flows out of the very person of God himself. He is full of grace. Even with Moses, the one who John says, you know, the law came through Moses. When Moses wanted to experience more of God's glory, when he wanted to know God more, and he says, Lord, I want to see your glory. God says to him, all right, that's fine. And he says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord over you. Now you have to understand in the Bible names are significant, aren't they? So they, they describe something of who the person is. So when Jesus meets Simon, he says, Ah, you'll be Peter. And later on he says, On this rock I will build my church. Peter, meaning rock. Another famous name change is you've got Abraham, which means exalted father. And as Abraham continues to demonstrate faith in God, God says, actually, your name is now going to be Abraham, which means father of a multitude, father of a multitude of nations, of people that believe in me. God, so the name has significance, so basically, God is saying to Moses, I'm going to, reveal who more of who I am speaking to you. Earlier on he said I am who I am and now he's going to reveal more of who he is to Moses. So you get it in Exodus 34 verses 6 to 7 where God tells Moses this. He says this is who he is. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding In steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. And it goes on, which is, if I was to go into it, distract from my message, but basically goes on to say he will totally deal with and punish sin to the uttermost. God is not trying. Be merciful and gracious. God is merciful and gracious in his very nature and who he is. Whilst he is holy, and he must punish sin and iniquity where it is there. Even in the Old Testament, you see God is full of mercy and grace. As there's certain things in place in the Old Testament law, through offerings and sacrifices, where people can get right with God again. Not that those sacrifices themselves actually make somebody right with God. They were just a foreshadow of the perfect sacrifice that Christ would make on their behalf and on our behalf when the time had fully come, the Bible said. When the time was just right, Christ came, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. You see, Jesus was not Changing the Father's disposition towards you, he was revealing the Father to you. Jesus could say to Philip, how can you say, show us a Father? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Moses said, show us your glory, and God proclaims it before him in the heavens Jesus came and he shows us the glory of God here on earth. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus came full of grace and truth because God is full of grace and truth. The cross of Christ is the ultimate expression of grace and truth because in it the two of them meet And kiss this guilty world in love, as the song says. Or as Psalm 85 says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. You see, on the cross, God can fully and totally punish sin can totally deal with it for all those who put their faith in Jesus he can satisfy his righteous anger against our sin on that cross and he can exercise his justice on that cross leaving him free to bestow his faith his his favor sorry and his grace on our lives which is why we must come to God through Christ to receive his grace we're not good enough by ourselves, in fact, Galatians four verse four makes it clear the very reason God gave the law was to lead us to Christ as we realize oh, i 'm not good enough i can 't do this, I need someone to save me and as we look to Jesus and surrender our lives to him, we can be saved by grace through faith, as ephesians two verse eight Tells us, and once we've entered into that wonderful position of being saved by grace through faith, when we look back, we realise actually it was grace that led us into that position in the first place. As Jesus says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit." Or as that famous hymn goes on to say, "Twas grace." that taught my heart to fear, to fear God, to fear his judgment, and grace, my fears relieved, as you realize God has provided a way for us through Jesus Christ. So God is not choosing or trying to be kind. Grace flows out of his very person towards us, through Jesus Christ. Secondly, my, my final point, God's grace defines who we are. You see, because grace is God's unmerited favour towards us, we don't earn it. You can't earn it, and you never will be able to earn it. Therefore, actually, it's not about how you feel or what you have done, or what you haven't done that defines you as a Christian. It's what God says about you and what God has already done for you that defines who you are and how you should choose to live. You see, the Bible says that we were once darkness, but now we are light. We were once unrighteous, but now Through Christ, we're the righteousness of God. The Bible says, outside of Christ, we were children of the devil. And yet, through Christ, we become children of the living God. Our very identity has been changed by grace through Christ. His spirit living inside of you causes you, your spirit, to realize that you've been born again into God's family, so that you can cry out, Abba, Father, my Father, my Daddy, to the living God. Your relationship to God has changed from a a servant-master relationship to a father-son or father-daughter relationship. We've been given the Spirit to help us live for Jesus. And when we fail and fall into sin, which we all do, Yes, we're called to repent and and we'll be forgiven. If we regularly and deliberately fall in an area of sin, which we sometimes do as well, we'll be disciplined by our Heavenly Father in love. But it doesn't stop us being His children anymore. The relationships change. You know, well, many of you know, when I was 15, 16, I was not... A nice lad I was very rebellious I wasn't living for for Jesus at all and uh, one time my uh, my dad's longtime friend and uh, old work colleague she was she was going away for two weeks and she had a cat and so she said oh si could I pay you to go and feed this cat for me every day and here's the keys to my house I, oh yeah sure that's that's great uh, I'll do that. And I fed that cat very diligently, you know, in order to get the money. I may have, however, had a few parties on the weekends that she was away in her house, telling my parents, oh, I'm going to sleep at my friend's house. Don't worry about the cat. I haven't forgotten about the cat. I'll look after the cat still. Uh, but, uh, yes, I don't think the cat came in during those uh uh, those evenings. Anyway, needless to say, I got found out and I was in a lot, a lot of, of trouble. My dad was so cross because this is his old friend. It was embarrassing for him. And I got grounded for six weeks, only just about allowed out for school and church. You know, so church would do me, do me some good. You know, I knew I'd done wrong. I knew. I needed the punishment, but I never feared that I'd be thrown out of the family because of it. I, uh, I never doubted that my parents loved me. They might not have liked me very much at that moment, but I knew they loved me. I'm their son. I know there's some situations, and I should add this in where parents in love, have to show tough love to a particularly rebellious uh, uh, young uh, person, whether that be because they continue to just ignore their parents or they get caught in some sort of addiction, and then their parents have to put them outside of the family home for a season. But that should always be with the aim of restoration, not separation. And my friends, because of the grace of God, the same is true in God's family, for you and me, in His family, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are an adopted child of God. Yes, you will make mistakes. We all, we all do, but that's why 1 John 1 verse nine tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all, from all. Unrighteousness. Yes. He disciplines us and actually allows us to go through various trials and difficulties in life, to shape our character, to become more like Christ and to grow our faith, which is of greater worth than gold, the Bible tells us, in trusting him. And also to help us realize we're not living for this age, we're living for the age to come. Yes, for some people, if they're particularly rebellious and they continue to rebel against what God has revealed uh, should happen in his word, then they may even be put out of the church for a season. But the heart in that, the aim in that, is always with restoration of the family member in mind. It's like in the story of the prodigal son, that they will come to their senses and turn back to the Father who loves them. That's the power of grace in your life. It doesn't let go. It defines who you are now as a person. And thanks to the grace of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, prompting you to live for God and giving you the power to actually live for him as well. That's why Paul tells us and Steve reminded us last week that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, grace isn't about do this and don't do that and try this and you try harder there. It brings you out of that master servant relationship and leads you into a father son relationship with the living God. And we're told to keep in step with the Holy Spirit and live pleasing our Father in heaven who delights, our Father in heaven, he delights in. The truth, and so should we as his children. You see, the law of God given in the Old Testament is just a precept that revealed the principles of the person who gave that law. And under the new Covenant, we're not so interested in the, in, in the precept. We have the direct access through grace to the person himself. We can enter the holy of holies. We have that relationship with our Father. You see, in 1 Corinthians 6, it, it demonstrates this, where Paul is addressing the whole area of sexual immorality in the church. He could have quite easily gone back to the precept and sort of set to the law and said, said, look, it says in the Old Testament, don't do this, don't do that, and do this. So don't do this, don't do that, definitely don't do that, and do this. He could have done that, but he doesn't do that, does he? If you read 1 Corinthians 6 in your own time. He says things like this, you are members of Christ's body. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. How can you even think of doing those things? You're not just breaking a commandment of God. You're desecrating the very temple of God itself by doing these things, by joining Christ to a prostitute. It shouldn't even be in your thinking. So glorify God with your bodies. How do we do that? It sounds quite difficult. Paul gives us the answer in Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Grace enables us to walk by the Spirit. Grace enables us to make the most of every opportunity. It provides the means for us to be forgiven when we get it wrong. But it gives us unlimited access to receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that we can have the power To live for Him. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as Steve was encouraging us last week. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us live a life that gives thanks over and over again to the living God. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us be submitted to God with our lives and live a life. That pleases him. My friends, all that is available to us because of the grace of God. The grace of God should cause us to be glad and to rejoice in all the goodness that God has done, is doing, and will do in your life and the world around us. Grace defines who you are. You see, to sum up, Grace is God's gift of unmerited favor given through Christ to all who believe, enabling them through the Spirit's power to live for Him, to live for God as loved children, as God's loved children. So I want us to to come back to worship now in the the knowledge of this. And thanks to the grace of God we can draw upon the Holy Spirit to help us in that. And we can rejoice in the fact that knowing that we are loved and accepted because of Christ, not because of anything you or I have done. So can I invite the band to be making their way back up here? But before I do that, want to read a quote to you from the second best-selling book in, in the world. after The Bible's the best. The second best-selling uh, book in the world is A Purpose-Driven Life by Rick Warren. and uh, It says this in there, and I found this very helpful as we come to worship, and hopefully it will stir you to think, yes, actually, this is what I need to focus on, because we live in a consumerist society, and so it, that, that does, can influence, influence us. It says this, Worship is not for your benefit. As a pastor, I receive notes that say, I loved the worship today. I got a lot out of it. Or notes to the other extreme. This is another misconception about worship. It isn't for our benefit. We worship for God's benefit. When we worship, our goal is to bring him pleasure, not ourselves. So my friends, as we gather today, and as we do gather and worship God, it does benefit us, but that's not the primary purpose in it. As we gather to worship Him, let's worship Him in such a way that brings God pleasure. Let's rejoice in the goodness that we have in Christ Jesus, that we are sons and daughters of the King, that we were once darkness, but now we are light, that we are held by a heavenly Father who's going to spend all eternity showering his riches of his kindness towards us, that he won't let go of your life or my life because he has chosen in his grace to love us. We receive all that through Jesus Christ. And the truth is, my friends, is you give yourself to worship, not thinking about yourself or how you're feeling in it, but trying to please your Heavenly Father. I can virtually guarantee that you will enjoy it much more because your Heavenly Father is good and He loves to pour out His blessing on you. Can I invite you to stand? i want you to just stretch out your hands before him because actually the only way we can really worship God in spirit and in truth is with a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit amongst us. We need his Holy Spirit and in his grace we can receive, as I said, unlimited access to God, unlimited filling of the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit wants to fill you afresh this morning. He wants you to live for God. He wants to change you more. He wants to make you love his word more, to live by his word more. He wants to help you overcome those areas that you're struggling with. He wants to set you free from those things of unforgiveness and bitterness that have been in your life. Don't resist him this morning. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. He wants more of you. He wants to fill you more. He has good things planned for you. You know, the devil is the one that doesn't want you to receive from the Holy Spirit. God wants to set you free from that. Heavenly Father, would you pour out your spirit amongst us? Lord, thank you that we don't earn this. Lord God, it's not about how we feel. It's about your grace towards us. And Holy Spirit, we say come and have your way amongst us. Just fill this room. Fill our hearts, Lord God. Fill our lungs, Lord God, with praises to the Heavenly Father, Lord God. Let praises rise up amongst us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come. Come. And have your way amongst us. I pray you would fill each one of these sons and daughters of the King here this morning. Lord God, let them know your love. Let them know that Abba, Father, rising in their spirits, Lord God, as they realize that they've been born again into your family. Holy Spirit, come, I pray. Fill us, fill us all afresh this morning. and Meet with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.